How you doing out there? Hey, Amen. All the girls went on strike tonight. They said you, they didn't show up. They said you boys are on your own. So get your Bibles out tonight. We're in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. The harder I try to get through chapter 4, the slower we go. I'm just going to do two verses tonight, and they're, they're powerful. So, Father, we thank you tonight for our study in Ephesians. Father, I thank you for these people who come out in the middle of the week on a Wednesday uh, to, to receive from you, Lord, and to eat the meat of the word. Father, I pray tonight that you would quicken our minds, that you would quicken our spirits, that our hearts would be good ground. Father, I pray that the praise and the worship that we offered you tilled up the ground of our hearts tonight so that you can drive the seed of truth that the Holy Spirit delivers to us tonight through the Scripture deep into our hearts. Father, I pray for eternal deposits tonight. Father, let us each take home something from you that will be with us forever. God, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 and 30. Remember, we've been going through a list of things here in verse 25 through 31. Paul has given us kind of a punch list of things that need to go once we become uh, children of God, once we're in Christ. Say, in him. You are in him tonight. You're not on your own. You're not by yourself. It's not you against the world. You're in Christ. You're covered by the blood of the Lamb. Your name is written down in the Lamb's book of life. And you, the life you now live, you live by faith, amen? And it's all about Jesus. So we're in him, and when we get in him, there are some things that need to go. That old nature needs to go. And the, the new nature of us being conformed into the image of Christ happens. And so uh, we're looking at a bunch of things that needed to go. I'm going to recap a little bit, but let's just listen to these two verses. It says here, let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but... If there is any good word for edification, according to the need of the moment, say that so that it will give grace to those who hear. Verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And that's it. Two verses tonight. Verse 25 through 31, give us that punch list of things that need to go remember there are many things here that paul puts his finger on showing the old nature that was tied to the gentiles who were apart from god now the new nature of us being in christ this process of god removing things from our character uh, and removing things from our life is the process of sanctification amen and notice when you hear sanctification you realize that's being conformed into the image of Christ. What does that mean? I need to look less like me and more like Jesus every day. John the Baptist said it perfect. He said, I must decrease and he must increase, amen. John realized he was just a forerunner. He fades off into the background and Jesus takes you know, charge and, and, and goes to the cross and does all he has to do. We need to have the heart of John the Baptist, Not that we're clinging on to our old nature and our old ways and the old things that we're familiar with and the old appetites that we have, but that we want to decrease. God, get rid of Rick and let Jesus take his place. 
Feel free to insert your name there. So some things need to go. Now, this process of sanctification is a process, and that's what I want you to know. When we, when we cooperate with the Holy Spirit, the process goes better. Someone say amen. You know, we can go kicking or screaming, or we can just submit. Anyone ever try to resist the will of Almighty God? Oh, man. Talk about a fight. Talk about exhaustion. Talk about the fact God knows how to wear us down and wear us out. And sometimes I think he's up there. You want to do that? You want to do? Okay, you can do that. Yeah, we're going to stay up here and laugh at you, but you can do that. Are you all done now? I can almost hear him saying that to me at times. Are you all done now? Yeah, I'm all done. Want to try my way? Yeah, let's do it your way. But it's a process, and the Holy Spirit works the process, and it's not something we do in our own strength. And I don't want you to hear these things that we talk about tonight and go home and say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get this out of my life. I'm going to do this in my own strength. Yes, it requires a decision of our will. Yes, it requires us to cooperate with the Holy Spirit, but it's not by power. It's not by might. It's by the Spirit, says the Lord. Amen. So this process is a lifetime process. You're never going to graduate. There's no Christians walking around on the earth with a badge and a certificate that says, I graduated the sanctification program. Doesn't happen. Why? Because every day we're in these earth suits here in the flesh. The Holy Spirit's working on us. The only time the process is complete is when we leave this body of sin behind and we fall into the arms of Jesus for eternity and he perfects us and glorifies us and the flesh is dealt with finally once and for all. So it's a process and enjoy the process. Enjoy the ride. Cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Don't try to do it in your own strength. This is about our Christian walk. Remember, in this study, we've, we defined our Christian walk as the way we think, act, feel, and live. As Christians, we need to think, act, feel, and live differently than when we were not Christians. Amen. So we're unpacking some of this here. Last time we were together, we talked about lying, anger that leads to sin. And I qualify that because anger is a legitimate emotion. The Bible doesn't say thou shalt not be angry. It says be angry and sin not. We talked about this at length and about righteous indignation, but go and listen to that uh, teaching and understand the depth of it. Lying, anger, and stealing. Those were the first three things that had to go. It's hard to argue with any of those, amen? It's not like, Lord, can I just be saved and continue to steal, lie, and be angry? No, it's got to go. Now, verse 29 is a bombshell for every one of us. And I'm looking around. Yeah, it applies to every one of us because every one of us has a mouth. And look what it says here. Let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. Okay, service is over. Let's all come and weep and cry at the altar and tear our clothes. And if you don't get what I'm saying, you need to get saved, then you can do it. Because you know what? Our mouth, the stuff that comes out of our mouths, no matter how spiritual, no matter how holy, there's times when the flesh gets the best of us and things come out of our mouth that, man, God, where did that come from? We're going to find out where it comes from tonight. But it says, you know, here, let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. All of us have a mouth. All of us have a tongue. And all of us have a heart filled with issues to fuel both our mouth and our tongue. Your heart is the gas tank of your mouth. What are you running in there? Is it five bucks a gallon? It says 
here let no unwholesome word. The New American Standard says no unwholesome. The King James Version says corrupt. It says let no corrupt communication. I want to look at both of those words. Unwholesome means detrimental to the physical, mental, and moral well-being of a person. How's that for a definition? Powerful, isn't it? So let no words come out of your mouth that are detrimental physically, mentally, morally from your mouth. How about corrupt? Corrupt means moral degradation, perverted or depraved. Wow. That's, you know, that kind of runs the gamut. Let nothing come out of our mouth that's immoral or degenerate or perverted or depraved. That, you know, for some people that would leave them silent for most of the day. Have you ever been around people maybe that you work with, maybe family members, maybe neighbors? I mean, just a steady stream of corruption. You know, they use profanity as punctuation. And, you know, I know I don't have to say this, but I have to say this. Christians shouldn't talk that way. Something else should come out of our mouths. And so unwholesome, corrupt, those definitions are powerful. As we look into that and plug it into the, the, the text, we understand that, you know, what comes out of our mouth needs to be pure and holy, not perverted, depraved, or corrupt. Uh, it needs to not do harm to those who hear us. So we all know that when we're saying things that we shouldn't say, we feel the conviction of God. You know, there are some things that, you know, we should just leave unsaid. You know, there was a really spiritual uh, character, I think it was Thumper in Ban Bambi. Remember Thumper? Thumper said, if you ain't got nothing nice to say, yeah, and then forget everything of Disney after that. But if you don't have nothing nice to say, don't say nothing at all. You know, it's better to say nothing than to have things come out of our mouth that are detrimental, that are immoral, that are destructive. So we all know we say things we shouldn't, and when we do, we feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. If we examine the bulk of what comes out of our mouths and we're being honest, we should probably talk a lot less. All the big talkers are just glaring at me now. You know, sometimes less is more. The person who's constantly talking, everybody's tuned you out already. When you have something important to say, no one's listening. So understand, we should measure our words. We should put a guard over our lips. Nothing unwholesome, nothing corrupt should come out of our mouths. Now, the implication of verse 29 suggests that uh, we're expected to exercise some level of self-control in the things that we say, in the things that come out of our mouth. Look what it says, let no. Did you hear that? So let no unwholesome. So there's a letting. I decide what comes out of my mouth to a certain degree. We're going to find out how to purify the gas tank of the mouth in just a little bit. But you know what? I can set a guard over my lips with a little bit of self-control that I decide what comes out of my mouth. Self-control is one of the fruits of the Spirit, amen. Just because you feel it or just because it popped into your head doesn't mean you have to say it. Oh, come on, Wednesday night. Do you ever meet people like that? Whatever pops in their head, they say it. Kids are like that. They're dangerous. They'll say some crazy stuff. Kid will tell you your zipper's down in front of everybody. 
You got something in your nose, mister. Thanks, kid. You know, we need a filter as spiritually mature Christians to put a guard over our lips. So this let, I want you to focus on a let no unwholesome word come out. You know, we're going to find out where it comes out from, but there's a letting to it. And so we have to exercise some degree of self-control and some, you know, and all of the responsibility from what comes out of our mouth. Now, let's consider what the Bible says about the tongue. Because, you know, without the tongue, we can't form words, and we have tongues in our mouths. And James 3, 5 through 6 says this about the tongue. I'm sure most of you heard this before, but in this context, it bears repeating, and it's going to mean a lot to us. Even so, James says, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles? And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. Wow. See what I mean about saying less? Because if we say whatever we feel, we say whatever pops into our heads, we just allow our tongues to animate whatever it drops into our heart at the moment. It's a dangerous thing. The, the tongue starts a fire. The tongue consumes things, and it, it can destroy things. Do you know, with one or two words that, you know, used on inappropriately, you can destroy a relationship. You can have a relationship with someone for decades and say something just rotten to them and totally shatter the relationship. Come on, anyone married? You know, you can say stuff to your spouse that never leaves them. Oh, no one's coming back next week. So we've got to measure our words, so we've got to be responsible for uh, what we allow our tongues to animate and come through us because the tongue is powerful and it's destructive. If we yield it to God, it can do amazing things. With the mouth, with the tongue, we could preach the gospel. We could share the word of God. We could bring encouragement. We could speak powerful words, rhema words of the Holy Spirit into people's lives, amen? Come on, Wednesday night. But on the other side, a tongue that's not tamed can just destroy everything in sight. Have you ever met someone like that? Just wherever they go, they're complaining, they're gossiping, they're talking about people, they're, they're cursing, and their tongues are just lighting everything around them on fire. Maybe some of us were like that before we got saved. And the thing is, now we need to be different. So James gives us insight about the tongue. Now, it might seem logical from reading James that, you know, we have a mouth problem or we have a problem with our tongue. But, you know, Luke 6, 45 shows us it goes deeper than that. Let's look at the gas tank. It says, Luke 6, 45, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. An evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Did you hear three times? Heart, heart, heart. Good man out of his heart. Evil man out of his heart. Out of the abundance of the, the mouth speaks. The heart is the gas tank that fuels the mouth. That anim The tongue animates what comes out of the uh, heart and it speaks it. And then those words have power. You know, Anytime I teach about the tongue or, or the mouth or, or words, I always have to go back to Genesis. Remember, God created everything that's seen and unseen by the spoken word. Words are powerful. 
And, and our words are powerful. Why? Because the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. Amen. God created us in his image. He gave us the ability to speak, and those words are powerful as well. And we, you know, in, in God, as, as God's children, we speak things into existence by just saying them. A parent that constantly encourages their child and, and blesses them and, and, and points them to the Lord is going to produce something different than a parent who's constantly ripping them down or judging them or tearing them down or comparing them to others. We've all seen parents that, that curse their own kids. You'll never amount to anything. Why can't you be like your brother? You, you know, you always disappoint me. And these words tear people apart. Wow. So our hearts are the gas tank for our mouths, and our tongue animates what's in our hearts. There's only really one way to clean up our mouths and tame our tongues, and that's to let the Holy Spirit clean up our hearts. You see, there, you see someone say something really bad and go, ooh, I don't know where that came from. It came from your heart. Or they say something in the wrong context and it's embarrassing. Oh, that slipped out. No, it didn't slip out. It it's, was in your heart. All right? So what we need to do is bring our hearts to the Lord, not say, oh, I'm going to clean up my mouth. Or, you know, maybe sometimes we've said, I'll never say that word again, or I'm not cussing anymore. Don't raise your hand. But Christians go through stuff like this, and we struggle, and, and it's because we're trying to pick the leaves off the tree. And you know what? They always grow back unless you get the root. The root is the heart. And so if I want to change what comes out of my mouth, I've got to allow the Holy Spirit to clean up my heart. It didn't just slip out. It, it, it was there, amen? So if it's there, it's got to go. And we need to bring our hearts before the Lord, amen? If there's no unwholesome word uh, to proceed out of our mouth, then we've got to bring our hearts to the Lord and ask him to clean them up. It says, but if there is any good word for edification according to the need of the moment say that so that it will give grace to those who hear so a lot of powerful stuff in there verse 29 continues by listing some guidelines for our speech our speech is to be good it says if there is any good you know and you might say well that's common sense yeah we're, we're supposed to say good things but you know i, I want i want to just tarry on this a little bit here because the the world considers good speech some, you know, people who, who speak well. Oh, they're, they're an eloquent speaker. They're a, a, a good orator. They're, they're fun to listen to. You know, and God does give people gifts. Have you ever heard they have some people, you know, who read through the Bible? Uh, there's that one guy, can't remember his name. James Earl Jones, yeah, well, I could listen to James Earl Jones read the Bible all day long, but, you know, some people have these amazing voices, they do voiceovers and stuff, and yeah, God blesses us, you know, with these gifts, and some people are really good speakers and good orders. How many would like to, you know, rather listen to a good speaker than a bad one? Now, don't look at me like that. But understand, this is not what God's talking about when he's talking about good speech, the world looks and they, you know, and they, they, they want to see that, oh, you know, they're, they're a skilled orator, they're a smooth speaker, they're, they're exciting, they're good storytellers, and at the same time, they could be untrustworthy, and they could be lying, and they could be the slickest snake oil salesman, but people listen, <laughs> and people vote for them. Some of these guys, man, they could sell 
snow to Eskimos. A ketchup popsicle to someone wearing white gloves. Yeah, I need that. I want, I want that. It's smooth speech, and the Bible tells us to, to watch out for that. So this is not what the Lord's talking about when he, he says, you know, have good speech. It's not being a good speaker. God is not impressed with people who are smooth and skilled and manipulative and cunning. No, he's not impressed with that at all. He looks at the heart of someone. I've heard people share things in, in you know, with the, the lowest vocabulary, with, the, with the, the smallest IQs, and just share something so profound that it's powerful and it touches your heart. Then I've heard some smooth stuff that may, I had to go to the bathroom and, you know, get rid of my lunch. So God's not impressed by smooth speech. He's impressed by those of us who speak with pure hearts and speak the word of God with, you know, with pure hearts. So uh, it's not a smooth speech thing. It's, it's all about speaking uh, the word of God and speaking in a godly way, amen? So good speech for the child of God means not being a complainer. All right, I'll wait for one, one Amen. Good speech for the believer means not being a gossip. Good speech for the believer means not criticizing and cursing. Uh, it means speaking the word of God in a way that we edify. And that's what we come up to here. The text continues. It says, let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. But if there is any good, we define what good speech is. Any good word for edification according to the need of the moment, say that so that it will give grace to those who hear. Okay, let's break down what I just read to you. There are three things that make our speech good, and they're contained in that little verse there. The first one is this. Our speech is good when it edifies. Any good word for edification. Now, let, let's define that word edifying here just a little bit because it's not a word that we use very much. But edify means to instruct, uplift, and enlighten, and to improve the moral and spiritual knowledge of others. Now, with that definition, do our words edify? And when they do, that's when it's good and godly speech. Do our words bring spiritual enlightenment to others? Now, look, I'm not saying we need to go around all day long quoting scriptures and, 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 and doing it's, not, it's okay to laugh. It's okay to joke. It's okay to talk about the weather and the sports scores and whatever. You know, we have to have common ground with people in this world because we're called to reach them. Amen. You know, John the Baptist was an interesting character, but that's not what we're called to be. Don't put your camel hair on and eat locusts and be, be a weirdo. And, and no, that was for him, for us. We have got to reach out to this world and connect with it in a way that we can lead them to Christ. Amen. So our words, you know, and all the words we speak, we, we need to speak words that edify. And do our words bring spiritual enlightenment to others? Do we point them to God? Do our words provoke moral excellence in others? You know, when we're at work complaining about the boss and complaining about the hours and complaining, complaining, our words as a Christian are not doing anything to edify or improve the situation. Now, I know it's easy to, to complain, but think about this. If we're conscious of what's coming out of our mouth and we know that it's, you know, something that the Lord would rather have us to speak, 
words that encourage people and words that lift people up and words that give people hope, then we can make that conscious decision to not complain, but to do those things. Do our words cultivate spiritual growth in others? Do we point people to Jesus? You know, you and I, when we talk to our unsaved family members and coworkers and neighbors, we need to be looking for an opportunity to inject Jesus into the conversation. Well, I don't want to do that. I just want to talk about, you know, the lawn and the grass and how's work and how are the kids. And, but, you know, I want to keep it casual. I don't want to get to. No, we're not called to keep it casual. We're called to uh, win souls and make converts and make disciples of people. Amen. Uh, I'm not getting any traction here tonight. But I know it's hard, but this is what the word is challenging us to do. When we're with people, we should be encouraging them. We should be bringing up Jesus. You should find ways to inject Jesus into the conversation. We should be inviting them to church. You know, our words can enlighten. They can provoke moral excellence. They can cultivate spiritual growth. Or they can inflame others to sin. Or they can just inject carnality. I'm talking about Christians, you know, uh, it's amazing the things that, you know, Christians watch and do and say. And when we relate to others, you know, it's hard to even tell who's saved and who's lost sometimes. I'm not saying that to anybody or to indict anybody. I'm saying it to myself, too. Amen. Because, you know, our words are powerful and we need to think about how we're using them. So do our words edify. That's the first thing that makes our speech good. Number two. Uh, the second thing that makes our speech good is are our words timely? Look at this. It says, according to the need of the moment. Did you catch that? No, no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, uh, but it's got to be good. It's got to edify according to the need of the moment. What's that talking about? That's talking about timely words. Did you ever meet someone who just has a gift to say the right thing at the right time? No, I've heard. You know, someone who just has a way of, you know, they got the encouragement word. They got the, they got the right scripture for you. They got a word from the Lord for you. And whenever you're around them, you're encouraged. Amen. They're, you know, they might be as rare as Bigfoot and unicorns, but there's people like that. They say the right thing at the right time. You know, it's more common people who say the wrong thing at the, at all the time, Right? what person do we want to be? Do we want to be that person who, you know, says the wrong thing at the wrong time? Or do we want to be the person who says the right thing at the right time that we edify with our words and we, we have the right word for that moment? People with spiritual gifts like prophetic gifts and gifts of discernment, uh, they encourage people and they're anointed to do it. People who have, you know, these, these spiritual gifts, they, they just have the right thing to say at the right time. And they're a blessing to us and the body of Christ. Let's face it, when we're beat up and we're broken down and we're discouraged, who do we go to? The person that complains or judges all the time or the person who just knows how to inject life into us with their words? Be the type of person that has timely words in, in your mouth, that you have the word that is perfect for the moment. Proverbs 25.11 says this. It puts it this way. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a pitcher of silver. 
Wow, apples of gold and pitchers of silver. So you get that, you know, I mean, uh, that's, uh, that's not the kind of picture I'd hang in my living room, but they're making the point that the words are precious and valuable, amen, gold and silver, valuable stuff. Timely words that, you know, when you speak the right word, you know, uh, well, Pastor, well, how do I have the right words in my mouth? We've got to let the Holy Spirit clean up our hearts. And then we've got to spend time uh, in his presence, amen. You know, it is amazing to me when I'm spending time in the secret place and God's showing me things and pouring things out and just speaking to my heart. And then I crack the scripture open and I'm reading. It's amazing to me how I come across people that day who need to hear exactly what the Holy Spirit gave me that morning. And I find myself quoting what was in my devotions, what was in my study time, what was in the secret place. And it's, it's ministering life to them. Come on, have you experienced that? That's not a coincidence. That's filling up your gas tank with good stuff so that your tongue can animate good words that come out of a good heart and speak life to people that need to hear it at that moment. You and I know when we've got someone gives us the word of the Lord, uh, speaks a word to us that we need it in that moment, it is life to us. So... Our words are good, our speech is good when it edifies. Our words are good and our speech is good when we have timely words that are perfectly fitting for the moment. And number three, uh, our words are good when they highlight the grace of God. Look what it says, so that it will give grace to those who hear. We can emphasize a lot of things with our words. We can emphasize our own personal likes and dislikes, we can emphasize our personal life goals, philosophies, and achievements. We can, uh, you know, we can speak about our passions and our pursuits and our hobbies. You know, the truth is, if you let a person talk long enough and don't interrupt them, they're going to cover all the topics I just mentioned. If you let a person talk, you should try it one time. It's fun. Just let them talk and be a good listener, Amen. And they're going to tell you what they like, what they don't like. They're going to tell you their life goals. They're going to tell you their life story. They're going to tell you their passions. Why? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The truth is, you know, if we get a chance, we're going to talk about what's most important to us and what's on our heart. Uh, people usually, you know, mention all of these things if they're given a chance to speak. Now, Jesus really needs to be the burning topic on our lips, now, I know, you know, we'd rather hear something else that's happy, clappy, and gives us goosebumps. But yeah, we came to church Wednesday night, and the pastor's telling you, talk about Jesus every chance you get. Amen? Jesus needs to be, look, I could talk about sports, or I could talk about hobbies, or I could talk about money, or I could talk about, you know, this or the, the economy, or we could talk about this. But, you know, somehow, some way, Jesus needs to be the burning topic on our hearts so he's on our lips. And then when we're speaking about him, that's going to give grace to the listener. We need to point people to the grace of God, amen? Look, everybody's broken. Everybody's hurting. Everybody's messed up. You know, some of us put the fun in dysfunction. But we're all dysfunctional. There's not one of us that has it all together. I remember one time when I was a young pastor, I sat down with a, a man of God and we're talking, and I said to him, isn't there anybody out there who's doing it right? And he didn't say anything, which led us to the conclusion that none of us are 
right. We're all a work in process. Amen? And we shouldn't project that we're anything more than that. The people who are projecting, well, I got it all together. I've arrived. Um, you know, you can sit at my feet and glean from my wisdom. That's the person to run away from. Amen? But our words need to impart grace to hurting broken people who just need the truth of God to set them free. Amen? Uh, we must learn to use our words to point people to the scripture, to point people to the Father, to point people to Jesus, and, and to highlight the graciousness of God. You know, too many Christians come across like, you know, uh, you know that you know, God is upset and he's angry and, he, and he's going to judge and the end of the world is coming and stuff. And, you know, the truth is we've got to win as many souls as we can until he calls us home, amen? And so the way to win souls is not to talk about, you know, the mark of the beast and what's going to happen in the, you know, the tribulation. And the way to win souls is to tell people about Jesus. It's still the good news and it's still dripping with grace and the gospel is still powerful. The power of the gospel to transform lives. You know, this is something I, even after decades of serving uh, Jesus in full-time ministry, I'm finding out, Tom, it's more the gospel than anything else. It's not my personality. It's not me connecting. It's not us doing us works of service. Well, let me come rake your leaves and let me, you know, let me come, you know, fix your house. You know, th that doesn't save people. If we never give them the gospel and we do all those works and we build them a, you know, we build them a birdhouse and we rake their leaves and stuff and we go, hey, God bless you. <laughs> it's the gospel. It's the gospel and it's just, preaching the simplicity of the fact that we're all sinners. Jesus died for us. He's the Savior. If we believe in him and that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. Simple. We've got to share it. We've got to have it on our lips. We've got to bring the grace of God to hurting people. If we're not doing it, if we refuse to do it, we're wasting our time. Well, I'm just going to be a friend. I'm just going to be a good listener. I'm just going to live in front of them. That could take forever. The truth is most people aren't interested in how uh, I'm living or what good things I'm doing or how good a listener I am. The, the only thing that's going to wake people up from this, you know, this state of being lost is the gospel. Amen. It's all about grace, amen. The grace of God will bring sinners to repentance and uh, allow them to experience uh, a, a relationship with Jesus Christ that changes their eternal destiny. Verse 30 shifts uh, a little bit in gears here. You know, while we talked about our speech and we learned everything that verse 29 had to give us, uh, you know, our speech is good when it edifies, when it's timely, when it points to the grace of God. Our words are powerful. And then verse 30, do not grieve. Say grieve. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are, who were sealed for the day of redemption. Let's just unpack this and we'll be done tonight with these two verses. So we shift on to the focus of the Holy Spirit. And the, the verse is reminding us here that the way we walk is important again. Remember, our spiritual walk is the way we live, act, think, and feel. The way we walk can either attract the Holy Spirit and bless Him or grieve the Holy Spirit. 
Now, because we're believers and we're indwelled with the Holy Spirit, even when we do things to grieve him, he doesn't remove himself from us. In the Old Testament, when they grieved the Holy Spirit or they, they sinned or something, the Holy Spirit withdrew and that was it. That's why David said in his sin, when he, when he sinned with Bathsheba and he killed Uriah, he said, you know, create in me a clean heart, O God. And the cry of his heart was, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. You see, David had a right heart even in the, in the old covenant. The, now that we're in the new covenant and it's Christ in us, the hope of glory, that we're filled with the Holy Spirit, even when we grieve the Holy Spirit, he doesn't just pack up and leave and say, I'm done. Now, that's, that's wonderful, but it's also a little sobering to think that we drag the Holy Spirit into all the mess we, we, we allow ourselves to get involved in. Ugh, I don't even want to get too graphic, but where do we bring the Holy Spirit? When we're on the computer, when we're with our friends, when we're out in the club, or, you know, when we're in places we shouldn't be. I, I don't know, I haven't been to a club in a... In, in never. I don't know. My, that's a long time. My wife and I said we, we grew up, neither of us could dance, so that was, you know, no clubbing for us. But you know what I'm talking about. We bring him wherever we go. So uh, the word is telling us do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Now let's take a look at that word grieve because it could mean a lot of things to us, but the Greek word for grieve, that's translated grieve here in the New Testament, is lupeo. And lupeo means to distress, to make sad, or to bring heaviness or sorrow to. Yeah, that's the right response. Think about that. When we grieve the Holy Spirit, we stress him out. We make him sad. We make him sorrowful. We bring heaviness to the heart of God when we grieve the Holy Spirit. When we yield our members as instruments of unrighteousness when we give ourselves over to sin after jesus paid the ultimate price to redeem us it breaks the heart of god and it grieves and saddens and brings sorrow to the spirit of god that dwells in us you know and many times i don't think we realize how how often we make the holy spirit sad when we willfully give ourselves over to sin, when we, when we allow sin to infect us and, and, and we yield our bodies over to it. That's why sexual immorality is such a grievous sin because it's a compound sin. We sin against God, we, we grieve the Holy Spirit, and we sin against our bodies, and we sin against someone else's body. Come on, Wednesday night. What a mess. Yet our world is full of immorality. And now the world clamors to make it mainstream and demands that the church accept it and abandon what Scripture says. God help us. Lupeo, to distress, to make sad, to bring heaviness or sorrow to. Honestly, the last person we want to stress out or make sorrowful or offend is the Holy Spirit because he's our most precious advocate. Amen? Realize the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. Jesus said that, you know, to the disciples, it's good for you that I go. And they're like, no, we don't want you to go. And Jesus is like, I need to go because then the Holy Spirit, the Comforter is going to come. 
and he's going to lead you into all truth, and he's going to guide you, and he's going to comfort you, and he's going to bring remembrance to you, the things that I've said to you. Amen? So the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and Son, and he's given to us as a gift to teach us, to guide us, to comfort us, to protect us, to convict us, to keep us, and to lead us into all truth. Is that really the person you want to grieve, you want to offend? You know what? I would almost say this. Offend everybody else, but don't offend the Holy Spirit. Offend your boss, offend your neighbor, man, even make your spouse mad. She'll let you back in the house in a few days. It'll be fine. But you know what I'm saying? It's better to grieve everybody else, offend everybody else, than to offend the Holy Spirit. Because, you know, when the Holy Spirit's grieved in our life, there's nothing else that's going on right for us. You and I know it when, you know, when, when there's something between us and God, when, when there's something that needs to be confessed, when there's sin that we've entangled ourselves into, we know the Spirit's grieved and we, we, we try to ignore it. But the truth is that, you know, he's the most precious advocate we have. And so we don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, I've talked a whole lot about grieving the Holy Spirit, but, you know, we need to, and I've defined the word grieve, but the thing is, we need to know what grieves the Holy Spirit so we don't do it, amen? You know, somebody says to you, there's something I really don't like, and if you do it, you know, it's going to be really bad. You want to tell me what it is? No, I'm not going to tell you. If we, should, <laughs> if we shouldn't grieve the Holy Spirit, then we should know what grieving the Holy Spirit looks like. Here's five ways that we grieve the Holy Spirit. Number one, by ignoring his instruction. We, we stress out the Holy Spirit. We sadden him when he is teaching us and we refuse to learn. When the Spirit is telling us, don't do this, no, don't do that, no, don't go there, no, don't you know, connect yourself with that person, and we ignore what he's teaching us. That grieves the Holy Spirit. You know, the dangerous thing is the more we ignore the teaching of the Holy Spirit, the more we grieve him and the harder our hearts get. So what grieves him? When we ignore his instruction. Number two, what grieves him? When we refuse to submit to his leading. The Holy Spirit wants to lead us. It's not that, you know, we tuck him in our back pocket and take him for a ride. Hey, you're with me all day today. Have a good day with me. I'm going to just do, you know, a lot of things. I got a big agenda. Paul and Silas wouldn't even go to certain cities that they wanted to go to because they said the Spirit restrained us. That means these men learn to be sensitive enough to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we need to learn. And when he's trying to lead us and we're like a bull in a china shop, it grieves him. Number three, how do we grieve the Holy Spirit? By resisting his conviction. What did Jesus say to Paul uh, when he was Saul and he knocked him down on the Damascus road? He said, why do you kick against the pricks? Do you remember what he said to Paul? What was he saying? He said, you're resisting the conviction I'm bringing to your heart. You're hardening your heart, Paul. Why are you doing that? Why do you persecute me, Jesus said to him. You see, when the Holy Spirit tries to convict us and we don't want to hear it, and we make an excuse, or we say I'm not ready to give that over yet, that grieves him. Number four, how else do we grieve the Holy Spirit? By comforting ourselves with everything else besides him. 
Come on, hear this tonight, Wednesday night. This is good stuff. We comfort ourselves with food. We comfort ourselves with, you know, uh, with pleasures. We comfort ourselves with TV. How many, you know, our world, we just sit down and plop down on the couch and veg out and, you know, Netflix and chill and all this stuff. What is that? We watch comedians that, you know, maybe we shouldn't. It's hard to find a clean one. And then what are we trying to do? We're trying to comfort ourselves with food, with alcohol, with drugs, with uh, bad relationships or risky behavior or vices or smoking, whatever it is, we try to comfort ourselves. And all the time, we're refusing to allow the Holy Spirit, who is the comforter, to be our comfort. And that grieves him. Number five, the fifth way we grieve him is by rejecting his truth. His truth is revealed in the word of God. And understand this, every time we get to a place in the word of God where we don't want to apply that to our lives, and we say, yeah, I like this, but not that, I'll do this, but not that, and we, we kind of, you know, we kind of treat it like it's a, it's a buffet and we can just pick what we want, that grieves the Holy Spirit. Now, after I've shared five things that grieve the Holy Spirit, you all look grieved out there. And I'm, I'm sharing this because we need to know what grieving the Holy Spirit looks like so we can purpose not to do it. So that the next time we're eating a gallon of ice cream trying to comfort ourselves, maybe we'll put the lid on it and, and go in the prayer closet and begin to worship the Lord and pray in the Spirit and listen to some godly music and change the atmosphere instead of comforting ourselves with physical things. <laughs> so... The scripture is telling us, Paul's telling us point blank, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. I've given the examples of how we grieve him, and all of us can use a tune-up on those things. The last part of verse 30 is such a powerful encouragement to us. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed. Say sealed. Sealed for the day of redemption. Now, this mentioning of being sealed is something that we as believers need to see as a great encouragement because it's an assurance to us. Our salvation is not on one day, off the next day. God's like, well, you were good today, Rick. Maybe if you die today, man, you might go to heaven. But you know what? Yesterday you were really bad. Good thing you didn't kick the bucket on that day. Isn't that the way religion paints it? Oh, I got to go confess, or I got to go tell somebody, or I got to do an act of contrition, or I got to say this prayer 58 times, and then maybe, and you know, and, and it's all this up and down yo-yo thing, you know, you're saved, you're not saved, you're, you're lost, you're found. You're, no, listen, we have an assurance that because of the fact that Jesus has marked us and written our names down in the Lamb's book of life, that he's able to keep us until that day. Man, if you can't get excited about that, Grace is so powerful, I can't even mess it up. That's awesome. So it's a sealing. Now, this idea of sealing comes from, you know, in that day when Scripture was written, kings would seal things. They would maybe make a, a scroll, and many of you have seen a scroll with a big dollop of wax on it. A king would take what was called a signet ring that had his inscription on it, 
push it into the wax, and everyone that saw it would say, oh, that's the king right there. You, you don't open this if it's not for you. It's, it's, it's legal. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's royal. It's sealed. It's, and, and it's got his mark on it. And, and this is what the picture that the Scripture is giving us here, that we have been covered in the blood of Jesus, and God has put his seal on us. He's marked us as his own. And that seal and that mark is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is in us the moment we surrender to Jesus Christ and are born again. So this idea of sealing something with a signet ring, everyone understood in that day when Scripture was written what, what this was talking about. You know, this royal insignia that marked something and made, uh, you know, the document legal and secure and, and, and precious and that you wouldn't even mess with it. So understand, God has marked each and every one of us as his own. And he sealed us. And you, we're sealed until a certain point. It says here, by whom we are sealed for the day of redemption. We are sealed and we're going to stay sealed until God redeems us. When's God going to redeem us? When he takes us home and delivers us from this body of sin. And once and for all, we will be with him in eternity. Then we're sealed and we're redeemed and our salvation is complete in him for eternity. Man, that's good news tonight. Amen. So you and I are not up and down, on and off, lost some days, found some other days, barely making it by the skin of our teeth. If we're in Christ, if we're born again, we're covered by the blood, our names are written in the Lamb's book of life, and we're sealed, and God is going to keep us by his keeping power until the day he redeems us and calls us to his side forever. That's good news tonight, and that's the end of verse 30. Amen. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. So, Father, I pray that tonight in everything that we covered, we would consider our speech, Lord. Father, I pray that none of us would try in the flesh to change the way we talk, but that we would come to you and humbly ask you to clean our hearts out. God, clean out our gas tanks and fill it with the right stuff, Lord, so that in the abundance of the heart, our mouths will speak and our tongues will animate the good things that we've stored up from your word, from your feet, in your presence. As we sit in church and we hear the word of God and the Holy Spirit tucks it into our hearts, Father, let what's in our hearts be of you and let what comes out of our mouth edify, Lord God. Let it give grace to the listener. Let our words be timely. Father, I pray that each of us would learn to be encouragers, that while the world is complaining and, and, and just sarcastic and vitriolic and nasty, Father, that we would just be those who would speak life into the darkness. Use us. Let us have divine appointments, Lord God, to have timely words for people that you put in our hearts and put in our mouths that we would be able to uh, point them to you and inject grace into the darkness. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.